I would like to do is like go on a, a magnet train or a bullet train or something like that. That and, would be cool. Yeah, just those high speed. That would be like, super, super public transport trains. Like that'd be really do. neat. But um, things that we should have here in America, but we don't. Right. Well, <laughs> let's let's not. Okay, uh, I need to put a kibosh on that before we get. Political. Oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> I am trying not to be political on this, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, welcome to Creature Crunch, yep. uh, the show where we watch a movie and we take that monster and we crush it under our heel to get that skin-crawling, crunchy pop and make a monster uh, stat block out of it. Uh, my name is Matt. And I've evolved lungs. And uh, today we are watching another request. Uh, this one is um, the 1998... Mimic by Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, this is one of the ones, one of the many, many titles that I didn't even know existed up until this point. I, I, I remember this movie coming out, but in my brain, I always get it um, conflated with The Relic, which came out at like that. the same time. I could see that very much. Because they both have like similar titles. They both are weirdo monster movies. And they're both kind of good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually, I mean, not to get too far off topic, I actually watched The Relic for the very first time a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. No, it's, so. it's good. Like, that's definitely one I want to do for the show at some point. For sure, for sure. And this definitely does have flavors of that. But this mm-hmm. one is just for whatever one that, for whatever reason, flew under my radar and is actually kind of the example as to why I, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast mm-hmm. from a more selfish perspective is... I love monster movies. I find them very difficult to to kind of drudge up. Uh-huh. And I figured that doing this podcast would make some of them surface. And that is exactly what this what happened here. Yeah. So I'm very happy with that. Um before we get into this, uh what like obviously we, we kinda like the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh I'll be honest, I'll be honest. Uh, I didn't like it as much as I was hoping I would. It, it's like, I mean, it's lower tier Del Toro, but even lower tier Del Toro is, like, miles above a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah, we, we here at Creature Crunch are Del Toro fans. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, um, but, and and I did enjoy this movie. I, mm-hmm. Like I said, I didn't enjoy it as much as I had hoped I would, but that's not saying a whole lot, to be honest, because I still really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I had to watch it on uh, on... Amazon Prime, I had to rent it. Yeah, yeah which I don't think it's really available, at least in our area, yeah, like in our area anywhere else at the moment, which no, is a bummer, but hey. Yeah, which means I'm also going to be renting it again when I do the edit. <laughs> so, but neither here nor there. Um, you still got it for a few more days. Grab those uh, sound bites <laughs> yeah, like sound right bites. now, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we kind of liked it. Uh, it's definitely got Guillermo del Toro's flavor yeah, on it. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's worth mentioning that uh, at least the film, I, I can't speak for you, but I imagine the same is true, that uh, the version we watched was the director's cut. Yeah, I don't even think that the original the original edit is available for rent right now, I didn't, at least on any of the services I had access to. I didn't bother looking into it, but uh, but we did watch the director's cut, uh, I, and it's... I don't know what's different about it. Like I couldn't, uh, I've got a little bit of information you, okay, in that I, regard, I couldn't find so, anything. Yeah, Um uh, I don't have specifics, but I, we'll get to it. We'll get mm-hmm. to it. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely got Del Toro's flavor all over mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, dark dark scene settings, yeah. very very uh, cluttered, but also um, intentionally so. Uh, you've definitely got his. I mean, it, it's got him all over it. Weirdo monsters that aren't necessarily evil, but just kind of there doing yep. what they do. Yeah, <laughs> and we're kind of the fuck ups. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, I absolutely recommend it, especially uh-huh. if you're a Del Toro fan. Yeah, and since this is one of his earlier uh, English movies, it, it's his it's his first one. It his it's first? his first in American. We're right. done with an American studio. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, like yeah, I know he did Kronos before this, and a couple other ones from Mexico, I believe. But I didn't look too in depth into his yeah. uh, into his. Uh, I, I knew this was one of his, library, his first but... movies. It, it very much is, and like um, it, it definitely feels like an early attempt, like it, especially an early studio movie. They haven't quite given him the reins fully, like. Oh, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. But uh, and, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it, mm-hmm. and of course there will be spoilers in the synopsis yeah, coverage. Yeah. Not even synopsis. It's synopsis isn't the right word. There will be spoilers in our. Uh, kind of uh, mm-hmm. recap of the entire movie. So. Uh, at the same time, though, I think it's a movie you can enjoy even if it's like been spoiled the heck out of it because there's, there's not a whole lot of this twists and turns and it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, yeah, I would argue so. Um, definitely a fun one regardless. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into uh, 1998's Mimic by Guillermo del Toro. Um, so as I said, it was uh, directed by him and it was written by uh, del Toro and Matthew Robbins. Uh, Robbins would also go on to help write Crimson Peak with del Toro. Another so, good one. Um, the movie is based on a short story of the same name by uh, a, a, an award-winning author, uh, Donald A. Wolheim. I did not know that. I thought this was an original script. I oh. didn't know it was an adaptation. Yep. It, it is an adaptation, and it was originally developed to be a short film as well. I can see that. Uh, but they, they ended up kind of pushing into it a little bit more. Uh, the director's cut of the film, like I said, the one that we watched, was actually released in 2011. Really? Yep. Uh, evidently, Del Toro was very unhappy with the original cut, and this was largely in part due to a lot of friction that he had with the Weinstein brothers. Oh, why ever would anybody have <laughs> friction with the fucking Weinsteins, Matt? <laughs> um, yeah, apparently Del Toro even disowned the original cut of this really? film. Really? Uh, I guess from what I understand, from what I was reading, Bob Weinstein didn't think the movie was scary enough. And he would go, He like, he got to the point where he would go on set and start over-directing against oh, Del Toro, like, telling Del Toro is also, like, this is how it needs to be, and it... And, it, and knowing Del Toro, like, he's that, very yeah. much an auteur director, like, he is... Yeah, so... Everything is how he wants it, like... So you can imagine the, like, it, it must not have been pleasant, and, no. and frankly, like, given this story, I'm kind of surprised that Del Toro even continued doing movies in America. Yeah, because, seriously. Because uh, he his... refuses to work with the Weinsteins. Oh, I can't blame him there. Like... Right, right. Um, so it wasn't until much later that he uh, he took his vision and kind of re-edited the film into what we have now. Uh, Mm -hmm. A big part of it was apparently they'd had a second film crew go through and film a bunch of other stuff that he didn't want. It it didn't fit with his vision and Uh it didn't, it, 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 to him, it meshed with his style. So he he removed all of that. Okay. He completely removed all of that. Uh, like I said, I don't know the exact specifications, but uh, from what I understand, the movie is, his cut is about six minutes longer than the original. Okay. But, uh, and, and it's still not what he envisioned. He, yeah, it, well, I mean, you can't really yeah, you go can back. You do so much. To, like, you know, 11 years and fix that. Right. He said that it did heal a lot of wounds um, yeah. and it pushed it closer to what he had envisioned, but this is not the mimic that he okay. envisioned. So, uh, that's a bummer. Like, that's it, really... it really is. It really is. And I, I feel like that happens a lot with Del Toro, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm still hoping he's gonna be able to make his at the mountains of madness someday. Like right. I know he's not going to. I, that's never gonna happen. But like I know that's his big dream project. 
for the longest time, and I think he'd be amazing at that. It would be a good ap- adaptation of another absolute loser's work, but I think it would be great. So, um, so yeah, it's typical story for Del Toro. I feel, yeah, and and, and to be fair, that is probably just because he is so. He, he has such a clear vision for yeah, himself, yeah. and he is not really willing to play by Hollywood's rules, mm-hmm. which I appreciate, personally. Yeah, I mean, um, it's what but it, makes his movies so, like, uniquely his. Yeah. Like, they are his vision for him. He's a very hands-on director. He's not just a sit-behind-the-camera guy. Yep, yep. And that's one of the reasons I appreciate him myself. Um, moving along here, um, most of the scenes with the monsters are done in CG in and the movie. It, it doesn't it, look great. It's it's really really bad, unfortunately. Uh, when, however, when they get to use the practical effects, like the great. suit actors and the the props and stuff like that, it looks really good. It does. It looks very visceral. It looks very good. Um, and you can tell that Del Toro had put a lot of love and passion to that. He mm-hmm. loves bugs. He loves <laughs> bug monsters. So yeah. Um, he's got a pretty decent uh insect collection in his big spooky house. Yep. Uh, so. They apparently had three different suit actors in the movie. Uh, Bill Lasovic, uh, Roger Clown, and Doug Jones. Yep, yep. And it was this film where Jones and Del Toro first met, and then their shared love of monsters is what kept Del Toro coming back to Jones for mm-hmm. his future movies. So I thought that was pretty cool. And they like it's been a career-long friendship and mm-hmm. like work together. Like Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, and from what I understand, this is before... Jones even got, I mean, obviously this is before Jones got huge. Right, right. Uh, this, he had done a little bit of monster work before this, but for the most part, he was just another suit actor. Mm-hmm. And now he is the, the suit yeah, actor. Yeah, he's so, the guy. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit about the history of the movie, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into some more things as we go through. Um, I'm really starting to structure these a little bit better, I think, with a little You're bit more there. better flow. But uh, we'll jump into the movie. Um, the, there's a prologue of sorts that was actually directed by one of the uh, uh, one of the producers and not mm-hmm. Del Toro himself uh, that uh, kind of establishes the setting. Uh, it's New York City, and it is the, ep- the epicenter of an epidemic where cockroaches are spreading a Strickler's disease that... I guess targets children. Yeah. Uh, and my only note here was that 1998, you know nothing of epidemics. Like, <laughs> I didn't know this was the plot of the movie going into it. It's just yeah. like, oh man, that, huh. <laughs> yeah, we're in the it's, middle of a giant pandemic. Uh, a lot of people getting sick. Uh, not getting any better from it. Yeah, this is, mm. it, it, this movie hits a lot differently now than I'm sure yeah. it did. Yeah, 2021 slash 2022, like, it definitely hits different. Yep. So, like, and when they get to the solution for the roaches, the only thing I could think of was people protesting, like, you can't murder our roaches. Those are our roaches. <laughs> and like, breeding roaches in their house. And, like, we'll show them. We're going to let all the roaches loose. Yeah, like, there's a lot more here. Um, and I guess this was also kind of conflicting with Del Toro's vision. He did not want this to be a sciencey movie. Oh, really? He, he he liked the idea of God basically saying, "Fuck humanity! I'm going to make these human roaches to um, these these bugs are evolving to basically overtake humanity." That okay, was, that makes a, like that was Del Toro's original. It's weird because that's a lot less of an explanation, but it makes a lot more sense. Yep. So it's just something that happens instead of <laughs> all of the, the like when they try to weld the science explanation to it mm-hmm. and yeah yeah that was that the science <laughs> thing was one of the things that that he didn't want but 
Yeah, because that, that comes apart be... if when you start looking at it too hard. It or if it's just like, so here's hardcore. something that, that happens, and what are you going to do about it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, but I, I guess a vaccine or a cure uh, eludes the CDC, so they brought in an entomologist named Dr. Susan Tyler to literally genetically engineer a mantis and termite hybrid that she calls the Judas breed. How dire is your situation where you're like, okay, bring in the bug people. We don't know what we're doing. Bring them in. Come on. <laughs> you guys are going to start slamming jeans together? Awesome. Do it. <laughs> well, I mean, in the context of the movie, it makes sense because I, I, they say that the this disease is spread by roaches. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, bring an entomologist in. That makes sense. Uh, but the, the name of the Judas breed is kind of shades of Del Toro's original vision. He right. wanted that biblical kind of aspect to it. Uh, it doesn't... How, how did this disease not spread beyond New York? That's beyond me. Like, I know that like, they said that they, like, closed down, like, the bridges pretty soon and everything to prevent it from spreading. If it's spreading via roaches, those roaches are going to get out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Even if it's just on people leaving. Yeah. Like, they'll spread. Yeah, no, that would be, like, especially with the context that we have now. Yeah. Uh, this would have doomed humanity straight yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, and and I assure you, they would have found a cure or a vaccine, or they would have been doomed. Yeah. But instead, what they, what happens is they, uh, she, she creates this hybrid, and this hybrid, for whatever reason, genetically... Uh, it releases an enzyme that will wipe out all the roaches. Mm -hmm. it, it makes their metabolism hyperactive so that they literally starve to death. They cannot consume enough and to eat. Here's something kind of neat that I found out yep. during my little research that I did. Sure. Uh, not too long ago, a deep sea beetle was discovered that releases a similar type of enzyme as a defense mechanism. Oh, really? And the uh, person who named the species named that enzyme Miera Sarvino. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Okay, well... Uh, so she, she has a bug death juice named after her. I'm sure she's proud. Um, she seems pretty cool. So. Yeah, so so uh, as Chris said, yeah, Susan is played by Miera Sarvino. Uh -huh. Uh, who's also, found, humorously enough, I found this out, you'll love this. Yeah, uh, probably. She's also in Badland, uh -huh. which is the Western directed by Justin Lee of Big Legend fame. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's a very prolific actress, but it, after this, it's all for little stuff. Mm -hmm. She was nominated for an Oscar for uh, Mighty Aphrodite, mm -hmm. and, um, like, right after this... Speaking of the Weinsteins, uh, she refused Mr. Harvey's advances, uh -huh. and he torpedoed her career. Yeah. She was uh, supposed to, like, Peter Jackson wanted her for the Lord of the Rings movies and, like, a side role, and, like, they wouldn't even send out the, the memos to her. She never got them. God, that's so tragic. Yeah, it sucks so hard because she's really good at this. She seems like a cool person. She's kept acting throughout all of this. Um, she's done a lot of philanthropy work and work with Amnesty International and, and organizations like that. She's a really neat person, a great actress, and it's depressing what, what happened that to her is, career. That is really, really sad. And and I found, I mean, I'm not super familiar with her as an actress, but uh, I definitely found her very charming in this yeah. movie. Like, she, I, I, I liked her. I mm -hmm. liked her a lot. So that's too bad. But uh, but I did find it interesting that she was in, the, in Badlands. Yeah, another... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, within six months, uh, this Judas breed has basically stopped the disease, and mm -hmm. uh, and Susan has saved the world, <laughs> or at least New York. Well, the world, because they, they, well, it's implied that it was 
the disease was going to get out. Right. Uh, whatever. Uh, she ends up marrying Dr. Peter Mann of the CDC, who's the, the guy who brought her in. Um, and Peter is played by Jeremy Northam. And who I am super not familiar with. Yeah, he... Uh, I didn't come up with any interesting facts about him, other than <laughs> apparently, according to Del Toro, Savino and Northam were constantly at odds with each other on set and couldn't oh, really? stand one another. That's wild. Which, it is wild, because it, I had a note... It does not come through. No, it doesn't. I had a note watching the movie. I was like, wow, this, this married couple is adorable. Yeah. But apparently they hated each other. That's wild. But... Um, and that's that is one of the things that I also want to bring up here in in that, and I, I'm pretty sure this is Del Toro's thing is, I'm it, it's so nice to see that the romantic interest is done. Like this is a this is a married yeah. couple without issues. They do not like oh yeah they they they're struggling to have a, a baby and we'll get to that in a second. And they both they're both overworkers. Like, yeah, they're, they're both workaholics. But, but, the, but the, the, there's they have no stressful like, jobs. I don't know. It, it feels. So rare to me to see this type, type yeah. of uh, relationship in a movie, especially and, in like a horror or a thriller like this, where the relationship is the reward at the end for surviving. Right, right. Which oh, is gross. Or, or <laughs> like trouble in the relationship is one of the obstacles that they have to right. overcome. Right, and and in this movie, all that happens off screen. Yeah, it's done. <laughs> so I, I I appreciated that. Uh huh. Um, but uh, we we do skip three years later after she saved the uh, New York by I guess wiping out cockroaches. It's not really clear. Yeah, like if you could actually wipe out cockroaches from New York, a you would have other tremendous problems from wiping out a species from that ecological nook. Yeah, um, and also that's impossible. There's no way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this movie's reality, that is pretty much what happened. I think. Yeah. Well, to be fair, they don't say that they actually kill all roaches. I don't. I don't really understand, but it, it's neither here nor there. It's such a... It's another thing where the, the science explanation like completely it collapses. Down. But it's know? also more of a footnote at that point. Right. Because... I mean, it, it doesn't matter, but it kind of does. Yeah. Um, but uh, three years later, we find a Chinese preacher um, being chased by something yeah. uh, that looks kind of like a man with a bug face. Mm-hmm. Or, or not even... That's not even accurate. No. No. Um, like we get a we get a brief scene of it looking over a building with Adam and it's got like this weird like it it's got a man shape like a man in a trench coat shape. Yeah, yeah. But it's got this very very strange face. It it reminds me of uh like Mr. X from Resident Evil. Oh yeah, very good like, vibes on There's that. no way they didn't draw on inspiration from from that for this. Yeah. Or other so, way around, whatever. Inspiration was not drawn somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, whatever this thing is, it eventually catches up with this guy um, and dra kills him and drags him into the sewers. Throws him off a building first yep. and then... Yeah. Um, across the alleyway from where this happens, an autistic boy named Chewy, who's the son of an Italian shoe shiner, watches the man being dragged away while listening to the chittering and clacking from his mm -hmm. assailant. Uh, Chewie has like some spoons that he taps to the same rhythm and that, as that's the chattering. His, his stem is yep. is tapping the the spoons, and he can recreate like any rhythm that he hears. Yeah. And uh, he's and because of the his father's 
profession, he he knows shoes. This yeah. this kid recognizes people as, via their shoes. He he can you recognize them via their shoes? He can identify what like brand they are, what size they are, colors, and like like different makes of shoes just mm-hmm. by glancing at them. He comments <laughs> that this creature or uh, this person, his yeah. assailant, this assailant is has got some funny shoes. Yeah, um, I imagine that's based off of the sound that they're making. The kid probably thinks that. The clicking is the sound of his mocking. I don't know. Right, that and like if he's identifying people by their shoes, this person isn't wearing shoes. He'll, right. he'll have like buggy feet. Right. So Mr. Funny Shoes is Mr. Bug Feet. Yeah. So. <laughs> Chewie is played by Alexander Goodwin, who hasn't really done any acting mm-hmm. since, um, which is too bad. I thought he did pretty good in this. He, he did fine. Like he, he was in that opening scene where you first see him, like he's very creepy. And I thought they were going to... I didn't know which direction this movie was going in. Right. I thought it was implying that he was one of the kids who had, like, recovered from Strickler's disease. that would have been... (laughs) And, like, he had some sort of connection with the crazy bug people. Okay, I'm very glad that they didn't Me too! I was kind of holding my breath every scene he was in, like, oh, please don't handle this poorly. Yeah. And, honestly, I think that... For the most part, it was okay. Yeah, I I thought it was handled. Especially, like, the scenes with his dad. You can tell that his dad loves him a ton. Yeah. And just wants what's best for Chewie and, like is very protective of him yeah. without smothering him. Yep. him. Yep. And and the fact that he's autistic, other than the rhythm thing, isn't really the plot point or his no his characterization, which yeah, I appreciated yeah. too. It's just that's just Yeah, he's a curious kid and he plays with spoons. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought that was it, it, all, of, all all said and done, especially for nineteen ninety eight. Yeah. Handled pretty dang well. That's what I was thinking. Um the next morning, it's revealed that Susan and Peter have been trying to have a baby and are pretty, getting pretty desperate. Yeah, considering they, they buy, like, some off-brand Spanish fly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Peter is called to the crime scene from the previous night um, because, uh, as it, turn, as, it, as we find out, uh, there's some questionable things going on. Yeah, um, he, and there's he, an outbreak of yellow fever. Yeah. Uh, he meets with a colleague named Josh Maslow, who's played by a uh, young Josh Brolin. Yep. Uh, who explains that the preacher was involved in the Chinese mafia and they've the crammed triads, a, yep. yeah, the triads and they've crammed a bunch of people um, forced into slave labor together in horrible living conditions. Yeah, it, it's a sweatshop in the bottom of the basement of this church. Yeah, like it's an actual dungeon down there. Yeah, and uh, and like you were saying, there's an outbreak of yellow fever, so they quarantine it off and mm-hmm. and uh, but while they're there, they find weird poop on the wall. Yeah, uh, or like hanging from the ceiling, and they think that is the wildest thing, which made me know that uh, none of these people have clearly ever worked in oh, cleaning, yeah. cleaning a public restroom <laughs> or anywhere where, like where public restrooms are used. Yeah, because it's like I can tell you fucking horror stories from the bathrooms. At the library, like, yeah. and not even, not even the bathrooms, man. Some of the, <laughs> sh- so, not to put too fine a point on it, some of the shit I've seen. <laughs> um, and then uh, we also get a little sprinkle of racism. Because yeah, they're, it's... they're wheeling out some old Chinese woman who's mumbling and uh-huh. saying, you know, cryptic things that are supposed to be implying the monsters. And one of the characters just gives an oh, you know, Chinese ladies. It's like yeah, oh. the, the Chinese they believe some wild stuff. It's like oh, cu- all right, well. Um, 
so then we cut to a scene where we're introduced to a couple of boys who evidently collect weird bugs to sell <laughs> I like to these Susan. kids. I did too! I had that same note! Like, I, I usually don't like child actors too much. These kids were hilarious. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm I'm not big on kids in general. Yeah, um, but just the way they're trying to run their bug hustle. It's <laughs> pretty good. Great. Yeah, these, uh, these boys are named Ricky and Davis, who are played by James Costa, who had a couple of roles after mm-hmm. this and then Jason Barnwell who didn't yeah. um so just some kid actors that dropped off the the map after that uh but like I said they they're basically there to sell some weird bugs to Susan mm-hmm. uh and they're both bewildered at how much Susan likes insects uh-huh. and she gives them a bunch of information that basically will come up later yeah uh, you know we learn about the colonies she's got like a termite mound yeah in a display case and then she's got cameras running all the way through it so people can look and see what the termites are up to see their various the various like classes of termite and stuff like that so she talks about the soldiers and what they do and the queen and what she does and the one fertile male yep and uh basically uh not not so much foreshadowing. That's not the right term, but definitely lining mm-hmm. up those do- dominoes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and uh, I I really I made a note of it because I just really loved it. But Davis, uh, after like he's kind of dismissive after she explains why she loves bugs so much, and he's just like, whatever peels your banana, lady. Yeah. And <laughs> it's perfectly balanced. And it's very beautiful. Whatever peels your banana, lady. So you want to buy the butterflies or what? It was a good line read, and I and I just want to quote that because I definitely want to splice that into the episode. Like, so yeah, those kids are great. I just they're so cool. They're fun. They're fun kids. I, yeah, I had that exact note. Uh, but the two of them are trying to sell her this very weird big yeah, bug. What that they, they call they the weird bug. Yeah, uh, and, and they, they've apparently been selling people to, like sneak peeks at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and they they do a pretty good job of haggling the price up. <laughs> this kid's a hustler, um, but uh, he eventually sells the 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 bug to her and and then splits. And later that night, Susan, who apparently didn't bother looking at this bug at any point in time, yeah, uh, she, is, she bought it sight unseen. Yeah, I think it's just because she likes the kids. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. She, she mentions that like you know they're from Alphabet City. They're they could be doing much worse things than yeah. bug hustles. Yeah. And uh, she's performing some more tests on bugs, uh, learning that they react to the sounds for, of a mate. Uh, we kind of have that. She's making the bugs horny. Yep. Um, and the the big bug that the kids sold her starts rattling around uh, in its cornflakes prison. Um, <laughs> they, they'd sold it to her in a cornflakes box. Corn flakes, box. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like one of those big boxes that you get at Sam's. Yep. And she and her friend Remy uh, finally go to check it out. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, apparently this thing is kind of insane because she has to use tongs to extract it. It's about the size of her fist, maybe even a bit bigger. Yeah. Big roach. It's huge. And which I also find interesting. Like it looks like a roach, but it's supposed to be a cross between a mantis and a termite. I I mean, I I can see the termite, but I think it's main. Well, I can see the mantis in it when we see the bigger ones. Right. Cause it's got the scythe claws. Yeah. And so I can see that, but I think its main purpose was to like imitate a roach. Like sure. that's why they called it the Judas. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And like, even even though it's a, a mantid termite hybrid, it's still based off of the 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 roach like 
base structure. Sure. I think. I don't know. It's it's movie Lego genetics. Yep. So um, it's it's pretty big, and she calls it a baby, which... I don't know how I mean, she determined that. She's an entomologist. She clearly knows better. Yeah, I guess. I would not look at a bug the size that that size and call it immediately say, oh, you're just a baby. But <laughs> I would go, holy go shit, on. and I put it back in the box. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then she does something even wilder as she tries to pet its face. Yeah, don't do that, lady. <laughs> like, she just like, lovingly strokes its cheek. It's like, what do you... What'd you expect to happen? So, of Mira course, Savino, it bites her. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, of course, it bites her. And, and good thing she's wearing gloves, I guess, or she would have lost a finger. Yeah, and she uh, she angrily stabs it down onto a corkboard. <laughs> she goes from liking bugs to hating this particular bug like that. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, I, I can't blame her. On the other hand, I absolutely can because you freaking tried to pet its face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tried to give it Gucci Gucci's and it did not care for that. <laughs> But uh, she then goes and does some research on this thing and learns that it might be the mutation of her Judas bugs. Which wasn't supposed to happen because there were sterile females. They weren't supposed to be able to breed. Mm -hmm. And it was only supposed to last one generation. Yep. And that was it. Yep. They were supposed to be wiped themselves out. Yeah. Um, but while she's doing this research, the uh, shadowy figure from the opening scene... Uh, kind of sneaks into her lab and rescues this baby, uh, breaking <laughs> Which is some still, glass in the process. Like kicking its legs and like screaming the entire time. Yeah, it's not dead. But <laughs> these um, things are pretty resilient, as we'll come to see. Yeah. Uh, so it, it breaks some glass in the process, and and uh, she discovers that it's been gone. It's been spirited away, and yeah. she, she looks... There, this scene went on a little too long for me, like, yeah. just her looking for it, but... Um, the, uh, the the man bug returns... Roachman. What's that? Roachman. Roachman. Roachman returns to the alley where Chewie sees it, and mm -hmm. he, this is kind of where he officially gives it its name, which is Mr. Funny Shoes. Uh-huh. Um, this brings the attention of his dad, who uh, Manny Gavolia... Gavoila? Manny Gavoila, I think it's pronounced. I have no clue. This brings the attention of his dad, Manny Gavoila, uh, who's played by... Uh, I'm going to probably butcher the guy's yeah, name. Yeah, I want to uh, see you do this, because I ain't trying. Giancarlo Giannini. Okay. I think that's it. Who uh, who would actually go on to... Uh, the, the most standout role that I've found from him is that he plays uh, Rene Mathis in the most recent Bond films. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, um, um, Susan and Peter decide that they need to track down the Hustler kids to find out where they found the bug. Uh-huh. Uh, because that's a little concerning of a revelation for them. Um, and the kids bring them down to a subway platform. And uh, Susan wants to know if they've seen an, uh, an oatheca, which is, if you are unfamiliar, a kind of like an egg sack for, mm -hmm. for roaches. Um and uh, these kids realize, like, they haven't seen it, but they start realizing that they're, she really wants it, and they could probably make some money off of this. So, yeah. Uh, so they, they end up sneaking off, and uh, Peter and Susan break into this locked room where they had apparently found the bug. that They had just changed the lock or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, nearby, we see that Manny and Chewie are shining the shoes out of an, of an MTA officer named Leonard Norton, who's played by Charles S. Dutton. He's, he's getting his shoes shoes shined, uh, but inside the room, uh, Peter and Susan discover, like, a passageway that seems to lead much further down uh, into the subway 
like abandoned tunnels. Uh, but they're caught by Leonard before they mm -hmm. can investigate. And while Leonard is harassing Peter about it, uh, Susan meets Chewie and Manny and learns about his ability to copy sounds that he hears with the spoons. So. And uh, sees him making those little wire figures. Yeah, and he's, he makes little wire figures that uh, uh, one of them in particular looks like Mr. Funny Shoes. Mm -hmm. um, we cut to the... Hustler kids who have now made their way much further down and are sneaking around this abandoned subway tunnel, um, and they find the Oathika. Uh And then they are attacked and killed by one of the Judas bugs. This shocked the hell out of me when this happened. This movie straight up kills two kids, like, yeah, on screen. Like, I was pretty surprised when the blob did it uh -huh. with one kid, but this one, yeah, no, this one straight up kills two kids. Like, one of them gets caught in barbed wire, and then, yeah, like, it's... They don't pull punches on no, this. No, they do not. So, uh, farewell, pour one out for the Hustler kids. Yeah, like... <laughs> but uh, but we, we get another taste of this this Judas Bug thing. Uh, Mr. Funny Shoes looking like a man. Like, he's mm -hmm. standing in the, at the end of the alleyway. Or, he's standing at the end of the uh, the, the hallway, and he looks like a, a, a guy in a coat. Uh -huh. So... Um, he, he looks like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle trying to sneak into a pizza parlor. <laughs> or a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Out of a movie, even. Yeah. Um, the next day, Susan meets with a colleague, Dr. Walter Gates, uh, who's played by F. Murray Abram, uh, to express her concerns with her findings. Uh, he lets on that what she did three years ago was certainly wild and unorthodox, but uh, it saved countless children's lives, so... Yeah, he, he doesn't castigate her for it, even though, like... He's pretty sure that what's going to happen is not going to be good. Like, but he doesn't say, oh, like, you fucked up severely. You, played you shouldn't God have done and, that. Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, you did what you had to do to save an entire generation of kids in this city. Like, yeah, there think... would be countless dead, including his grandkids. Yeah. Yeah, I think the line specifically was, um, like, like, three years ago, I would have called you crazy for what you were going mm -hmm. to do. But now I've got... Some gra I've got two grandkids that are growing old because of it. So. Yeah. Is it answers you want from me? Or is it absolution? You still think making the Judas's was wrong? Three years ago, I would have called it unforgivable. But I have two grandchildren who are alive today, probably because of you. It would be a tad hypocritical for me to pass judgment. That's not an answer, Walter. It's not an easy question. I, I really have to like it's it's a good moment. It's it is a nice moment. And I um like in the grand scheme of things, uh Dr. Gates does not play a huge role in no, this he, movie. He doesn't. Uh which is too bad because I again I honestly found most, if not all, of the actors in this movie to be very charming yeah. and and it, enjoyable to watch. It's got a sizable side cast. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's got one of the bigger casts of the movies we've watched. Honestly. <laughs> I was thinking that too. I was, I was thinking that we, myself. We, we tend to watch movies with smaller casts, I guess. I guess so. Um, I mean, horror movies, I it's guess. True, but it's true. It's true. Like, I think this one and the Blob probably have the biggest cast. Thereabouts, yeah. Uh, that night, Chewie sneaks out of his bed and into the quarantine building across the alley because he watches Mr. Funny Shoes go in, uh -huh. um, and he ends up communicating with a couple of these man bugs. Yeah. We find out that there's two of them, at least. Yeah, at least. And then, like, yeah, he doesn't really have a conversation with them because he's just imitating what yeah. what they do. He's another type of mimic. Yeah, and see, like at this point in time, I actually was like, "Oh, that's why it's called mimic." And then it's one of the reasons. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
it was interesting, but mm-hmm. um, the bugs end up uh, taking him. Uh, yeah. We... we we don't know if he's dead he's or if he's... He's gone for quite a bit of the movie at this point. Yeah, we don't... At this point, we don't know if he's dead or if he's just yeah. abducted. Um, but we then cut to a, a water treatment plant where they end up... Like, one of the, the big filters gets jammed, gets a big uh-huh. clog in it, and they Sparks have Sparks start coming out, and it smokes, and... Yeah, so they have to pull whatever it is out of it, and... and the, the guy pulling it out says, damn, I think it's a kid, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's... And my first thought was, oh, shit, it's one of the Hustler kids. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> That's what I thought. They too. dumped him in the water, <laughs> and I and honestly, the way that that scene is cut and filmed, like I, I imagine that was probably it's very up. intentional. I think, yep. but it's like, oh man, this is for a PG thirteen. This is getting grim. <laughs> yep. Uh, but the next morning, uh, Remy calls Susan to let her know what has been found, and we have a scene where Remy is d- busy taking a pregnancy test, and uh, Peter goes in and they start playing grab ass instead of having Peter give her the phone. <laughs> so Remy's just on the other end of the line yep. listening to this <laughs> conversation. She's like, guys, come on. This is, this is really serious, you guys. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then, and, uh, Susan throws the, uh, the pregnancy test. Did I say Remy is d- busy taking a pregnancy test? Maybe. I don't know. All right. Hold on. Let me. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Whatever. I'll, let it, Whatever. I'll leave it in. Uh, I met Susan. Susan's taking the pregnancy yeah. test. Oops. Um, but uh, Susan ends up throwing it away after waiting the amount of time, assuming it's just it's it's negative. Uh, and then she heads down to the water treatment plant to investigate the dead bug. Yeah. Um, while she's gone, uh, Peter discovers that the pregnancy test is actually positive. She is pregnante. Yep. And. Uh, <laughs> He wants, like, they had arranged to meet at the subway platform because now he's gotten permits to investigate. Right. Uh, So he's going to break the news to her later on. Remy and Susan go down to meet with Jeremy, who is uh, Remy's, the the bass player in Remy's band, which is the whole reason that he knew her. But Jeremy works at the the water treatment plant, and he's played by a baby Norman Reedus (laughs) in his film debut. And he is once again playing with a spooky fetus. (laughs) Uh, he shows them the, the corpse of what they found, which is not a kid. It's a bug. It's a man, like a child-sized roach. Yep. That, and once again, very good prop work. That's a big-ass roach. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he's he gives a good line. It's a lobster, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed that line. I'll put that in. Yep. I remember Remy says to me, if it's got more than four legs, it's not a mammal. It's a lobster. Right? They they end up. Uh, Susan takes a bunch of pictures of the corpse and then sends it to Doctor Gates to examine. And Doctor Gates discovers that it is a highly evolved organism that is designed to kill as part of a colony. This mm-hmm. specific specimen is a soldier. While she's doing that, uh, Peter, Josh, and the uh, the MTA officer Leonard head down to the abandoned tunnels. Uh, they go in there with those permits and start exploring the old subway tunnels. Now, mm-hmm. um, I have a legitimate question that I do not know the answer to, and uh-huh. hopefully you might be able to set, shed some light on it. No uh, promises. But are, are New York subway tunnels, like the abandoned ones, literally like this deep and Liberian? Yes. So, okay, I wasn't sure if that was like, just, yeah. like, a, what Hollywood thinks they are, no, or if that's are legit. miles of abandoned subway tunnels. Well, I figured there were a lot of them. I didn't realize that they go so deep and were so... Okay, cool. Something I legitimately yeah, didn't know. It's, yeah, it's it's a cavern. Like, it All is right. a, a cave system down there full of sub, abandoned subway tunnels. 
Uh, but they, they head down there and they explore for a little while, um, eventually finding the same gross poop walls that they found in the basement of the of church. Um, and uh, while they're ex- like investigating, uh, Leonard sees one of these bigger baby roaches scurry by and he stomps on it. Uh, which inadvertently knocks himself and Peter further down into the tunnels, mm-hmm. separating them away from Josh. Like, they're um, lucky they didn't get really hurt doing that, like, in the yeah. movie. Like, that is yeah. quite uh, a fall. <laughs> it really was. Uh, and they, they can't figure a way back up, so they send Josh to return to the surface to get help. Um, oh, and I, I completely forgot to put in that. Uh, yeah, in the gross poop. Walls thing. I noticed you had the same exact yep, note. Yep. But, uh, Big Leonard... elephant ass motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, Leonard. Leonard lets out a weird turn of phrase. <laughs> uh, you seen anything like this before? Why are you asking me if I've ever seen some shit like this before? Do I look like I've seen some shit like this before? Hell no, I ain't never seen no shit like this before. Who the fuck would want to climb up these walls and hang one of these? Must have been a big elephant-ass motherfucker. I don't know the fuck. So Susan heads down to the uh, the subway platform to meet with Peter. And while she's waiting for him, um, she's looking over the pictures taken of the bug corpse. Mm-hmm. And she kind of puts together that... <laughs> she makes one of those, like, end-of-mad magazine fold-em covers. <laughs> yeah, she, she folds a couple of the pictures together and literally puts together that... Uh, this bug has part of its carapace that can be combined to make it look like a human face. Mm -hmm. Um, And as the platform clears out, because I guess it's pretty late in the afternoon or evening at this point, um, she thinks that she sees someone and goes to ask him what what time it is. Uh, It's just this kind of shadow in a silhouette. Uh, But oops, it's a huge bug. Yep. The... uh, (laughs) Not the usual type of New York huge bug. (laughs) Yeah, uh, the Mr. Funny Shoes Judas Mimic attacks and abducts her, uh, taking her down into the colony, uh, which, thankfully, because of her explanation earlier uh, with the Hustler kids, uh, we know that the reason it doesn't kill her outright like it's done in a few others is because sometimes they like to bring their prey to the colony Mm -hmm. alive. Or at least they don't bother killing them, I guess, is more of the point. Um but uh, she, she ends up waking up and finds a huge pipe that is sticking out of a human corpse. In there a... are so many, like, dead people in yeah. those sewers and, and tunnels and stuff like that. Just... Yeah, well, the the, the implication here, um, because we get a scene where Leonard and Peter are walking through mm-hmm. an abandoned, like, uh, homeless co- like town, yeah. basically, under there. Multiple. Uh, that uh, basically these things have been feeding on the homeless mm-hmm. for who knows how long? Well, for yeah. three years, I guess. Yeah. Um, so she she gets this pipe and uses it to stab one of the Judases to death, uh, narrowly escaping and getting lost in the tunnels. Um, by this time, Josh has gotten hopelessly lost as well, and he ends up kind of coming across more of the uh, he ends up coming across more of the uh, OFEC, the the weird egg sac things, uh, before being chased away by one of the Judases and is killed. Mm-hmm. Um, he and, ends up in the, the basement of the church, like the church dungeon. Mm-hmm. And so th- that explains how they got in there. Like yeah. That, yeah. It's a nice little bit of visual storytelling that isn't like explicitly stated. Right. Right. Yeah. It, which is very much Guillermo del Toro's mm-hmm. style in a variety of scenes, um, kind of leading up to this, uh, Chewie's father, 
uh, Manny discovers that Chewie is not in bed, and he calls the cops because he can't find him. Uh, but the cops won't help him um, because it's been... For, it, it hasn't been 48 hours. hasn't been 48 hours, which is, by the way, a bullshit rule that does not exist. Right. But regardless, uh, in, in Hollywood it does. Um, and uh, Manny takes it upon himself to go looking for him. It takes him into the uh, into the abandoned church, or the quarantine church, not abandoned. Takes him into the quarantine church where he finds one of uh, Chewie's little wire figurines. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Manny eventually makes his way down into the subway tunnels. Uh, he stumbles upon Susan, uh, and then later on into Peter and Leonard. They go to rescue Susan. They have to kind of pull her up from, like, a weird shaft, like an yeah. elevator shaft or something. Um, and while they're doing this, uh, they're attacked and by another one of these Judas bugs, and the four of them are chased into an old subway car. Um the, the Judas almost gets into the car, and Peter cuts it in half with the, the sliding door, uh, and the top half, which is proving to be incredibly resilient. And, and this thing's still ticking. <laughs> yeah, like like many roaches do, yeah. the the top half being severed from the bottom half does not kill it. Uh, it scurries around in there and ends up um, cutting up Leonard's leg really bad mm-hmm. uh, before Leonard puts a few rounds into its head and a few killing it. <laughs> he, he says he empties two clips into it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't count, but I did have the note after the first volley. This is like, he can't have much round, right. rounds left in that gun. And then another volley. It's like, oh, I guess he did. <laughs> he reloaded at some point. Yeah. But um, they, they end up patching up Leonard's leg. And while they're doing that, uh, Susan examines the dead Judas and kind of finally puts together what happened uh, in that her experiments not only didn't sterilize them, but it, yeah. it like, activated their metabolism into hyperdrive so, is... so that they they go through generations in days. Right, they they is... go through hundreds of thousands of, of generations in the three years and therefore evolving very, very rapidly yeah. into what they are now. Um, and they've evolved lungs, which is how they can survive being big, whatever. Uh, and they've also learned how to, or not learned, but they've evolved the ability to kind of mimic humans, um, enough to kind of blend into crowds. Right. So they've been hiding in plain sight all this time. They, they basically have the ability to stand upright, fold their wings over themselves, yeah. and then they put this weird carapace mask on it, that makes yeah, them look like a creepy dude. Just a little clicky mask thing that's like off of their mm-hmm. mandibles or something which which is as she puts it something that a lot of bugs have evolved yeah. to do they they mimic evolved predators. to mimic predators or or even their prey in times mm-hmm. and that's or kind just of what this the is. environment in general yeah which is a very very fascinating idea i mean that's the whole point of this movie um and i really like the idea that these things like they don't look human if you no, if don't. you look at it it's like, well, that's a freaking. But if you, but if you put it in like a subway station, yeah, if where there's a lot of people, and yeah. most people are trying to avoid eye contact because yeah. there's a lot of weird and in like and... dark alleys and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where people aren't going to see anything other than just a human shaped silhouette. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> is it's a cool it's a cool idea. I appreciate uh-huh. it, and it's creepy. It really is that um, these things are just moving all like alongside New York society, like mm-hmm. just doing their own thing, killing people. And yeah. Yeah. It's... And they're just there all the time. And people don't notice because like they look just human enough to be able to blend in. Yep. Um, Leonard at, 
at this revelation begins gets very angry and begins yelling, which the sound attracts more of these bugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they begin assaulting the train car, and then Susan kind of rationalizes that they can smell his blood and that it's driving them crazy. I like, I, I know that they're evolved roaches, I guess you could say, <laughs> or like roach adjacent creatures. But like, why would they give two shits about blood? <laughs> like, well, they're they're also she also spliced in like I guess shark DNA. I or... guess yeah, something. <laughs> Um, but she decides to cut up the carcass that they have and begins smearing the pieces on pretty much everything. So there that... are so many scenes of people spreading goop over themselves in their environment. I hate it. Yeah. It's so gross. The, the idea is then that the Judases will only be able to smell more of them. Right. So that they'll leave them alone. And I had the note that it's like, I, boy, do I hope she's right. Or else she infected the shit out of Leonard's leg for no L- reason. Like, if, if Leonard makes it out of this, he's losing that leg. Like, that yeah. leg is not making it out of this alive. Yeah, she's like smearing it and dripping the juices into the open well into the wound that they've patched up it's like that's not healthy it's just like i'm so glad i'm not a germaphobe because (laughs) this is disgusting it's gross um and the like the once again the prop works really good those those like glands that they pull out of the judas corpse are super goopy and gross yeah it's (laughs) ugh. It's uncomfortable. It, it activated... Many scenes in this movie activated my heebie-jeebies, but <laughs> uh, the group decides that the only way out is to get the train moving again so that they can get to an access point to the surface. Which is what Peter had originally suggested and Leonard shot down, like, it would take an entire team to do this. No, it'll take a pair of glasses. <laughs> a pair of broken glasses. Yeah. That apparently um, don't have a... aren't made of a, a plastic polymer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Peter and Manny plan to head to the switchboard while Susan and Leonard stay put. Uh, Susan wants to go because she knows most about the bugs, yeah. but, you know, of course Peter knows that she's pregnant yeah. and he doesn't want her to go because of that. It's, it's interesting because usually in, especially in a horror movie like this, where you have the, the male lead telling the female lead to like stay behind, it's a protective like machismo thing. And this time it's, there's definitely a reason for it because she's pregnant. She doesn't know she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't been able to tell her yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's wanting to protect this because it's, for them, such a miracle that it, that it yeah, actually yeah. happened. So, uh, But they, he does eventually convince her that she and Leonard need to stay put, Leonard, mm-hmm. because he's wounded. Um, and the, the plan is that Peter's going to go and, and hotwire the, the electricity back on while Manny goes and flips the switchboard. Um, or flips the, the track. Right. Whatever. The... the... Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess right. Manny does that. I don't remember I seeing don't see, him do yeah. it, but or maybe he didn't, and that's the point because uh, I get, yeah, uh, they decide to head out. Um, the the they covers themselves in the drippings, and Ugh. Susan advises Peter not to sweat, <laughs> yeah. as it will it will attract the bugs. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't know about. I know I'm overweight, and therefore I uh-huh. and have high blood pressure, so I have a sweaty problem as it is. <laughs> But if I could cho- just choose not to sweat, my life would be in- infinitely better. Well, you'd have to pant like a dog at that point. <laughs> and I don't know if that would be any better for you. Um, they head out. Uh, Peter crawls into a vent to work on the electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's approached by a Judas in a legitimate, like, jump scare. Uh-huh. <laughs> there um, aren't a lot of jump scares in this. Del Toro usually doesn't put them in his spookier movies. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Yeah. Um, not we're not fans of jump scares. No. Or at least this might be like pointless. One scares. of two in this movie, I think. Because I think there's one earlier. 
I, but, I think there may have been one with the when she was trying to get the bug out of the cornflakes box. Yeah. But this this one was a legitimate one. Yeah, this is just he yeah. turns and there's it's very that surprising face right there. It's yeah. like one of those, the human carapace faces. Um, but fortunately, the scent on him works and he's ignored. Uh, though we do have this hilarious moment where it puts its like it, it brings out one of its like claws and uh-huh. puts it in between his legs and it, you literally get the shing noise. <laughs> it's like oh that was goofy <laughs> as shit. Um, uh, but meanwhile, while he's doing this, Manny finds Chewie, mm-hmm. uh, who's alive, and Manny is so stressed out that he is sweating up a storm, which, of course, attracts one of the Judases, and the Judas kills Manny. Yeah. Um, back in the car, uh, Susan kind of comes to the conclusion that, that, like the termites, they probably have a single fertile male of the colony, and... That if they don't do something about this, the colony will get out and breed everywhere. Which, I mean, I don't know why they. they <laughs> why now already. is the time? Yeah, <laughs> why, why? Why is now? The, but whatever. Um, so she decides that they they need to kill this this single male to wipe uh-huh. out the colony. And then she's got, then she gets kind of concerned that Manny and and Peter have been gone for too long, specifically Manny. Um, so she heads out to go and find him, and she calls out for Chewie. Which is a legitimate mistake in the movie because at this point she doesn't even know that the boy is there or alive. Right. Or um, it suggested that I, I, that she may not even know his name at this point. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure about that one because she did meet at the at the, the yeah, train and, station. And she was with Manny for a bit, so I imagine Manny probably, probably like I'm looking for her. my son Chewie. Yeah, but but she <laughs> goes son, out Chewbacca. looking. She goes out calling for Chewie instead of Manny, and yeah. that that is a legitimate mistake that that's been reported about the movie. Oops. Um, but she does end up finding Chewie, but she also finds Manny's necklace, which indicates to her that Manny didn't make it. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she also Chewie is scared witless at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. Chewie's having a problem. Chewie's having a day because I mean, <laughs> everyone in this movie is having a terrible day. <laughs> um, Just a bad day all around for these characters. Peter does get the electricity in the car working, uh, which immediately starts the car rolling. And I'm still calling bullshit on that though. That the for one thing the wires work at all, <laughs> and two that he just hooks his glasses in between them and that makes that's enough of a connection to get him going. Like that is such MacGyver bullshit. <laughs> um, but regardless, it gets the car rolling again, mm-hmm. and this I guess is kind of where the idea that Manny didn't do the switch the tracks comes into play because the the car hits something and stops. Yeah. And it not, jostles a bunch of stuff loose and, and it basically opens uh, Leonard's wound again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when Peter tries to get into the car, Leonard won't let him back in because he's like, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding, they're going to be coming for me. Uh, and Leonard decides to have his big damn hero moment and sacrifice himself. He, he goes out and, and he gets bugged. He leads him off into one of the subway tunnels singing his blues songs. He's mm-hmm. got a great voice. Yeah, he does. And uh and yeah, he gets he gets aft. Uh but uh fortunately while on his way back to the subway car, Peter had found an old dumbwaiter that he realizes could probably take them back up. Mm-hmm. Uh so he gets Chewie and Susan to the dumbwaiter and he puts them inside 
And then um, I believe it's at this point where the male makes its appearance yeah, and yeah. Peter decides that he needs to be the one to put an end to the colony. So he closes the, the, the gate, sends them up in the dumbwaiter, um, and uh, Peter goes off to try to kill him. Um, unfortunately, Susan and Chewie, like, they make it up to a more active tunnel, but not high enough to get out of, uh, yeah. out of harm's way. Susan yells at a train to stop. <laughs> I don't think the train can hear. <laughs> um, but uh, Peter runs and fi- ends up finding the nest. Yep. Uh, and he uses a like a utility pick to punch a bunch of holes in the gas mm-hmm. line. And then... This, this is one scene where I have to say the CG looked pretty good. Is all of those roaches on the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Like, that didn't look bad. Like, I, I, I'll call it out when I, when I think it looks good, and that looked good. That's good, because... Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. I I didn't pay too close attention. I mm-hmm. was very distracted by the point in th- this point in time in the movie, but um, but yeah, he he punches a bunch of holes in the gas line. He pulls out a, a lighter and tries to light it, but it won't light. And he, <laughs> He's just having a shit day. Yeah. Um, but he does drop it into a huge like I don't know portion of the tunnel. That's, it's, it's a that's cistern, flooded, like a cistern flooded. Yeah, um, which gives him his out. Uh, so he uses the uh, he uses the pick to create a spark and then dive into the water. Yeah. Uh, no, he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> this I, man is dead. But no, he's not. He survives, Chris. We find out in the end of the movie he survived without a scratch. Yeah. Um, Susan has more injuries <laughs> than he does, and he blew himself up. No, he was in and the, the he was entire in the Lower East Side. No, he was in, okay. So yeah. So. <laughs> It causes a massive explosion. Just that... fucking ridiculously huge. Like, I know it's a gas explosion. And those are those are major incidents. The entire Lower East Side mm-hmm. is on fire. Yep. Um, I guess in 1992, a gas line exploded in the city of uh, Guadalajara, uh, Jalisco, Jalisco? Jalisco, Mexico. Del Toro's hometown right. where he was born. Uh, and it caused a lot of destruction and got several people killed. And apparently that's where Del Toro drew the inspiration yeah. for this scene. It's just nuts. Like, it mm-hmm. is it such goes a huge on. explosion. It goes it just, on. He just keeps going. Like Yeah, it's and intense. Then, like, there's that fucking truck that runs by on fire. And he's just like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. This is a bigger problem than the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> um. After the explosion, though, Chewie and Susan run across the Fertile Mail. Uh, Susan ends up luring it out into the subway track, where it is hit by a subway car and subsequently killed. Yep, it is trained to death. Yep, uh, Susie, Susie, and Susie, Susie and Chusen, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Suey and Chewbacca, <laughs> Susan and Chewie meet back up on the surface. Uh, and then they find Peter after a weird fake out. It's like, yeah, it's very much implied that. Chewie is looking for Mr. Funny Shoes. Yeah. And you see, like, the a big silhouette in a the... creepy silhouette. ...coming out of the, the subway tunnel while people are being led out of Peter's massive explosion. Uh-huh. And no, it's not it's... one of the Judases. It's Peter, and he's safe, and they yep. hug. And then Peter tells Susan that she's going to be a mommy. And then Chewie's like, hey, I'm right here. Apparently you're adopting me. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and that's that's where the movie ends. Um, and, and I that's guess where we crash into credits. Yeah. Another another really unfortunate thing here is that uh, apparently Del Toro originally wanted Peter be to be played by uh, Andre Brower, um, 
and have the final scene of the movie basically being a black man, a Caucasian woman, and a Latino child embracing to kind of be a symbol of Mm -hmm. mankind coming together for the future. But the wine scenes didn't think that that. America was ready for an interracial couple, and they cast Northam (laughs) instead. So, yeah. Northam did a fine job. Like, he, he really did. Mm-hmm. But, no, that I think that would have been a, a better, more interesting... Absolutely. Like, casting choice. Absolutely. Um, especially since I like Andre Brower. But Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's... Uh, I guess the moral of the story is fuck the Weinsteins. Yeah, um, like, <laughs> if there's one thing we have learned today, it's fuck both of the Weinsteins <laughs> in particular. So, that was Mimic. Mm-hmm. Um, the director's cut specifically. Yeah, like you said, if you haven't seen it, and even after this... Check it out. Check it's it a out. good flick. It's, it's worth. It's fun. It's a worthwhile watch. I think. Mm-hmm. It's a very like straightforward monster movie. Mm-hmm. Like once you get past the uh, the sciency bits that they try to shoehorn oh, in. Yeah, kind of overexplain. It's very like aliens, which is it's aliens without the marines. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like that's not a bad movie. That's a good. That's a good movie. Yeah, no, <laughs> it, it's enjoyable. Like, is it the, like you were saying, the CG kind of falls apart in a few places. It, it yeah. definitely removed me from it. Yeah, the practical effects look great when they're used. The suit effects are phenomenal. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I would really—it's too bad because I would really love to be in the in the alternate universe where Del Toro got to actually realize his vision to the fullest. Yeah, yeah. because you can see kind of the shades behind the scenes on this. You can see the ideas present. Exactly, and there's some really cool stuff there. But I just want to live in the the alternate universe where Del Toro got to make everything he wanted to make. <laughs> like. <laughs> I'm with you there. Like that was that's the superior timeline. <laughs> Instead, we got this fucked up timeline. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, so we're gonna head on over to the crunch after uh, Chris and I take a quick break. Yep. Um, and we'll see you in a minute. Yep. Tantalized by the cockroach and its promise, I fantasized about soaring with golden wings. Hypnotized by the cockroach and its promise, I was compromised by a treasure that was fit for food. So welcome back to Creature Crunch. We're about ready to uh, we're about ready to crunch our boy. <laughs> I think a few of them got crunched in the movie pretty good. So um, um, so I've been struggling with names lately, but thankfully, Chris, you helped me come up with uh, with the new one. Or you you came up with this one. Um, uh, so we've got our 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 boy, uh, the Termanch, <laughs> which sounds just. It's oh, a bad mouthfeel. Yeah, it's a it's a crunchy mouthfeel. Yeah, yeah, which makes like it, it's very fitting for this guy. It is. So you got the Termanch. Um he's a medium monstrosity, unaligned. Uh armor class of ten, like they're not hard to hit. We don't see attacks bouncing off of them or mm-hmm. anything in the movie. Um, uh, whoops! <laughs> <laughs> Hold on! <laughs> he's got hit points. Um how many hit points? We just don't know. Got... <laughs> don't worry. I got this. Okay. Um, Only 48 plus 8? That doesn't seem like a whole lot. It isn't a whole lot. Okay. Uh, it's it's what... 48 is what the giant spider has, which is the same challenge rating. Okay. So, um, now 16 uh, plus 8, that's going to bring us to 24, 25 HP. Okay. All right. So, uh, so yeah, armor class 10. He doesn't... We don't see b- attacks bouncing off of these things. Their carapaces don't seem to be too particularly yeah. tough. I mean, we see a... 
a freaking subway door cut one in half. Um, he's only got 25 average hit points. Uh, it's 48 plus 8. Uh, so they're relatively easy to kill. I mm-hmm. think that reflects well with what, what we see in the movie. Um, because part of my my part of what I wanted to do with this one was obviously create an in, an imposing creature. But then you really remember that part of the danger of these things isn't their individual; it's the swarm. Yeah. So, uh, so this is not this is a challenge rating one creature, but it's not designed to be going against a challenge you know a party of average level ones. Yeah. It's designed to be teamed up with more of these things more of these creatures and attacked at a, you know, hitting a, a bigger party. Uh-huh. Um, so it's got, uh, it, we, we see it moving pretty quick in the movie, uh, 40 feet speed, uh, 40 foot climbing speed and a 30 feet fly speed. Okay. So this thing has a lot of maneuverability it, options. It does. Um, and then it's, uh, it's attributes. I, I took a lot of inspiration from the giant scorpion stat block, which is a few ticks higher than challenge rating scale, but, uh, I felt that the attributes kind of reflected well enough. Uh, it's got some pretty good strength. We see these things bursting through metal doors uh-huh. and, and rocking an entire subway car. Uh, we see uh, it's got dexterity of 15. These things are pretty nimble and agile. They move around quick and mm-hmm. get into spaces. Uh, and then it's got a constitution of 15 because, I mean, they are resilient as all hell. Uh, intelligence... They're not smart. No. I mean... They're roaches. They're roaches. Uh, Although roaches are some of the smarter bugs, but even at that. Well, which is why the the giant scorpion has an intelligence rating of like one. Right. So four, I think, is pretty reasonable for these things. No, that's fine. Um, They've got a wisdom of nine, same thing as the giant scorpion. Uh, I was going to drop it lower until I realized that wisdom is the perception stat, so it's like, okay, never mind. (laughs) Um, And then they've got a charisma of eight, which... I mean, these things are not likable. No. But they deceive. Yeah. Um, so I, I increased the charisma a little bit more than I feel like probably should have. Um, I think that's okay. Okay. So uh, as far as their skills, I originally gave them the deception skill until I realized that was stupid. No. Uh, but they do I, have... I like what you did instead. Yeah, they have stealth. Because uh, everything has stealth. Everything has stealth. Um, and then, especially in monster movies, I mean, yep. that's going to be a trope that we're going to come into. Except now, for cars, cart. Well, no, I did give Christine stealth, didn't I? I think you did. Probably, yeah. I can't Well, remember. I mean, in horror movies, that's just, that's a trope. The yeah. monster sneaks. Like, that's what usually makes them terrifying. Um, or part of it, anyway. Uh, so I, I gave it a damage vulnerability to piercing. Now, mm-hmm. the reason being is because we see these things, I mean, they die from bullet wounds. And, right. uh, and Susan stabs one of the pipe and it kills it. So uh, I did that also because I really am a fan of differentiating between the three like standard damage types. Me too. Me too. Uh, because not many things have vulnerabilities or resistances I, to I just, one or two, and not the yeah. I just like playing three. with vulnerabilities and resistances in the first place because mm-hmm. it's in the basic like as written monster manual. It feels underused. It's really underused, and that's a toolkit I think they could play with a lot more. I, I agree. I mean, you don't want to necessarily make it Pokemon, where everything is weak to something and resistant to something or whatever. Right. But it's definitely an area where you can play a lot more than it's, I think they do. It's a tool there that I think that can help modify the combat mm-hmm. encounters to to shake things up. I mean, if you have a if you've got that barbarian with you know, a big great axe, uh-huh. throw in something with resistant to slashing damage and suddenly it's a, it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of what I wanted to do here. Um, and this will really give, you know, rogues and rangers a time to shine if they're weak to piercing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, it oh, does yeah. a, a rogue with 
daggers or a short sword is going to make short work of these things. Exactly. Uh, so it does have damage resistance to poison because they're roaches, and I mean that's kind of the point of roaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a blind sight of ten feet. Uh, okay. ID. The, the idea behind that is it, apparently the smells the blood, yeah. whatever, and then it uh, you know they they move by sound, whatever. Blind sight seems ap- apropos. Uh, dark vision of 60 feet, passive perception of 9, no languages, even mm. though I was very tempted to, uh, because they communicate with their own clicks and yeah. things, but it, 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 like, I don't, the languages is kind of a fuzzy area for me, because it's always like they should be able to communicate with others of their species. Yeah, which I don't think, like, I'm, I am convinced that, um, or at least it's, it's my understanding that creatures can just do that, Yeah, uh, but it's not so much a language as it is just more of kind of a, an understanding or just... An advantage yeah, of being yeah. so you don't need to create a language per each right. creature, so it would get bananas. So, um, although having like a druid who could fluently speak Roach would be interesting, right? And and I <laughs> and I considered doing that just because in the movie we see Chewie clicking back at yeah. them, and it it seems to maybe not communicate with them, but it, it they understand see, it. Yeah, they understand it. Uh, and I thought that might be something fun, but I, I think that it'd probably be more up to the DM and maybe yeah. some creative players to be like, well, I'm going to mimic their clicking noise. Yeah, I mean, then... if nothing else, that's kind of what Sylvan is for the druids. Right. So, um, so now it's abilities and yeah. the abilities, of course, as always, are where I had a lot of mm-hmm. fun with it. Uh, I actually kind of want to skip doing to the attacks because that it's actions because that was pretty standard for it, me yeah, and not as interesting. It's attack is pretty bog standard yeah it, it can I, I did give the term multi-attack uh so it can make two attacks mm-hmm. we don't really see this in the movie too much but it's got two arms two of those scythe arms it can exactly attack. so uh it's basically got a claw attack plus mm-hmm. four to hit average of five damage piercing damage pretty standard uh but now it's abilities so i gave it the ability that i called human mimicry uh, the termanch can fold its wings around itself, walk upright, and it covers its face with a part of its carapace. When it does this, it can blend into a group of humanoids without suspicion, and only a DC 10 uh, perception check will reveal its disguise. I, I like that it's a passive ability on its part, so it doesn't have to try and make the deception check or anything like that. Yeah, I think that works a lot better for this guy. I agree, um, especially since in my experience with rolling like monster percept- uh, stealth and stuff, it, it doesn't work. It yeah, doesn't work. Yeah. The monsters never freaking hide from the party in my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that this wouldn't. This one definitely works more to that advantage. And the idea that instead of it trying to actively hide from the enemies, it's just trying to blend in. And your players won't even know that there's, like, there's no way to identify this thing unless the players mm-hmm. are looking for something suspicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to work when it's in a small no party or anything. But, like, in a group or of, of like, a city or yeah, no, that's something like that. What you'd want to do them for is some sort of, of urban environment. Like, if mm-hmm. your players are walking around water deep or something Baldur's like that. Gate. Yeah, or I even if you're, in Gate, if you're doing, like, a modern urban arcana. Mm-hmm. or a modern D20 setting. Like, these things would be awesome for that. Like, right. I, I almost bet there's a similar type of creature in modern <laughs> D20 that's like, here's just a big thing that disguises itself as a human and walks yeah. around. So that's where that came from. Um, and then the, the other three things uh, that I gave it are not as not as interesting to me, but definitely flavorful. Uh, I gave it the uh, an ability called Resilient. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not actually sure if there's anything similar in vanilla D&D, but uh, basically I just gave it the caveat that the termanch can survive while it's missing its limbs <laughs> as long as its head and most of its torso are intact. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's only a flesh wound. Yeah. So, <laughs> so something a little bit more flavorful for the DM to play with, uh, not so mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it the spider climb ability. Okay. Here's something I'm kind of fuzzy about, and you're sure. more rules knowledgeable than I am on this. Okay. Um, would it need the spider climb ability since it has a climb speed? Um,. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure if they are needed, Okay, but I checked the giant spider stat okay. block, and that is the case with the, the net, Yeah, that's fine. Like, yep. I was honestly not certain how that would work. No, whenever I... The, one of the reasons why I can make stat blocks so accurate a lot of times, especially in the verbiage, is because I copy a lot from the vanilla. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, And then finally, I gave it the Sohoajin Blood Frenzy. Because Which I think it's like the third time we've used that ability. But it's the second, second time. Second time. It's the second yeah. time we use it for. It's our a good hunter. ability. It is, and it's pretty standard. It gets melee, It gets advantage on melee attack rolls against mm-hmm. creatures that don't have all their hit points because we see these things reacting very strongly to blood in the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Susan straight up says They're the blood is making them crazy. Yeah, the blood is making them crazy. So if that isn't blood frenzy, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the, that's the termage. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's real simple. He's not mm-hmm. complicated. He doesn't need to be like. Just have a, uh, I can definitely see where a story would come across with these guys where your players walk into a town and it seems like a lot more populous than maybe it should be. Because <laughs> there's just a bunch of these guys walking around, yeah. like a bunch of cloaked figures or something like that. And, you know, you see travelers wearing travelers cloaks all the time. It's not that weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, they go into a, into a pub or something, and there's just, like, 40 of them in there. <laughs> just, like, <laughs> hanging out. And, and then see, they get I, jumped. I, and, I, and I start thinking even more grand. Like, I like the idea of having a campaign, like... Where maybe maybe not even the big bad evil guy, but just somebody big is like an enemy druid, and he's mm-hmm. sending an army against you know the the town or whatever, and sprinkled in that army or even sprinkled into the enemy's army is are these things? Yeah, like I don't know. It's just y- you could have a lot of fun with that human mimicry thing, mm-hmm. and you and really you're right, could. they're they're not super complicated. When I was writing down my notes for these things, I was kind of worried that I could get. A little bananas with it. Um, you can definitely get lost in the weeds with what they do, and I'm glad you didn't. Like keeping this guy simple works a lot better, I think. Uh, especially if you're gonna have, like you said, a lot of these things. Yeah. Because yeah. like that's the idea is is these things are meant to be attacked. Uh, like you can put like one against a player and hiding in a crowd like we see in the beginning of the movie, and I think yeah. that'll work just fine for a lower level. But you, you can also just as easily put, like, 30 of these things. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a little that's a little intense. But uh, you could put, a, like, all, half a dozen to a dozen of these things against a, a higher-level party right. and make a legitimately difficult encounter. And then it just becomes a free-for-all, just a, a bar brawl. At that yeah, point. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's also reflected in the fact that they can do an average of 10 damage a turn mm-hmm. while only having 25 HP. Yeah, it's... So. I mean, that's not nothing damage, but... And if you have a bunch of these, that's going to eventually start wearing on your your, your players oh, that they can hit. absolutely. Like, it, but this, they go down so quick that mm-hmm. you'll no, be able I think, to use the cleave rule on them. Exactly. This thing, this, this thing is for sure, to me, playing a lot with the action economy. Yeah. Just because it's like... You get like... 
you you outnumber the outnumber the party, and the first couple are going to go down easily, mm-hmm. and probably maybe not even deal a whole lot of damage. But then the next several are going to have those that advantage and on the attacks, just start and then pushing into that gap made by the first yeah, couple. Yeah, and... these things are going to wear your party down from endurance in a single combat, yeah. and I think that that could really make a very dynamic and and very intense combat yeah, situation. where you're not giving them much of a chance to breathe in between attacks mm-hmm. or uh, mm-hmm. encounters from yeah. these guys. I mean, it also might be very, very difficult to prevent a TPK. Like, I think it'd be yeah. very easy to accidentally overwhelm your party too much. Yeah. But at the same time, if you want to use the lore from the movie, and I, I very much intend on doing... We, we intend on doing something far, far in the future with that. But mm-hmm. if you want to use things in the lore of the movie, like, maybe it does end up as a TPK, but instead of killing the party, they are abducted and brought to the colony. Well, I've I've seen a lot of discussion about killing players lately on on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm of the opinion that you never want to kill the players unless it uh, serves the narrative and the player's cool with it. Obviously, yes. Yeah. Like, if you've made your intentions clear that, you know, this is going to be a dangerous campaign, your, your characters will be imperiled and, like, make sure they're okay with that, then that's cool. But otherwise, yeah, like have them drag them back to the nest and then they have to fight their way out of the nest or, yep. you know, another uh, NPC can come along and give them a hand or something like that, pull their fat out of the fire. Yeah. Like there's n- numerous ways you could do this without just straight up murdering a dude. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> I, so I think that that kind of, that works in this favor, in this thing's favor. So, um, but yeah, so that's my term Uh Did you have any other notes or any? No, other? I, I like this. I like this old Rochi boy a lot. <laughs> I would very much like to use it myself. Yeah, no, I like I said, he's simple, but he he's cool. He does just enough. Yep. Yep. Um, so that was that. Was that. Uh, yeah. So, that was Chris, uh, what are we going to be doing next week? All right. Or, well, excuse I... me. Chris, what are we going to be doing next time? Okay. Well, I am of two minds, and I'm going to let you pick which one we do. Oh, God. Because... <laughs> okay. um, we noted that we've done two bug movies back to back. Inadvertently. And we could go for the hat trick. <laughs> so that's one of the options. Okay. We can bug movie hat trick. Okay. And on the other hand, I've got another uh, practical effects, like 80s style horror movie. So. Okay. Um, which one do you want, buddy? Okay. So you're, you're wanting me to choose I want before, you to even, before yeah. you even reveal the title. Hat, hat trick or practical effects? Oh, geez. Um. It's too bad that the fly is coming out at the later half of January, and this one's the beginning half of uh, February. Because uh-huh. otherwise, I'd just be like, "Let's make it Bug Month." But um, well, where we only do like two regular episodes a month, it's hard to have theme months. <laughs> We'd have to speed up our schedule for that, and we're not quite where we can do that. That's yet. true. That is true. Um, and we've got uh, we've got a plan for for uh, Valentine's we Day, do. which does not fit with this theme. No. It so doesn't. I think I'm gonna I, I think I'm gonna go for the practical effects. Practical I'm gonna effects? avoid All the hat right. trick. All right. I'll have to inflict that movie on you some other time because that would be an infliction. Um, then we are watching Metamorphosis, The Alien Factor, uh, which is a movie that I saw recommended by um, Slimy Swamp Ghost on Twitter. Saw some stills from that, and the monster effects looked amazing. I know nothing about the movie other than it's like very reminiscent of like the first couple Resident Evil games, and the monster effects look baller. All right, I'm down. I'm on board. I'm not familiar with it, so I am excited to watch another movie that I'm not familiar with, yeah. uh, especially since I've already got my pick for the next... 
we, we we're, we're recording this before Christmas, uh-huh. and our Christmas movie is a movie I've seen a billion times. And then the next movie I'm going to choose is another request, which is another one I've seen a billion times. Oh, so yeah. this is going to be nice. Yep. I, I appreciate one another one that I have not seen. So. That's why I'm leaving the requests to you, yeah. So I can kind of go off the rails and like wander about in the forest for a while. Nothing wrong with that. So, Other than the bears, um, the bears are a problem. Speaking of requests, though, if you do have one, reach out to me in any way you can. I do appreciate them all. Uh, even if we get the the some of the stinkers like Big Legend or... Uh, <laughs> like- uh, Big Legend was a bad movie, but I think we made a fun episode out of it. I think we made a lot of fun fun episode out of it, and I don't mind watching the bad movies because it is kind of fun to talk about them afterwards. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna lie, like Thanksgiving was was a slog for me that, to sit through, and that is at the same time like we keep quoting different parts of that movie to each other because it was so shitty. I'm I'm starting to see the the uh, yeah the draw to it, but regardless, uh, I still wouldn't watch it again. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely wouldn't make it an annual thing or anything. But, uh, but yeah, keep those requests coming. We really uh-huh. do appreciate that. We love them. Uh, and it's expanding my horizons, and it's getting us to watch things. Because it's like when we're picking movies, we're probably not going to pick the ones we know are going to be bad. <laughs> so I don't know. Be... I've got some opinions. Okay, well, we, we haven't yet. Yeah, and so. I am going to inflict certain things upon you for Big Legend and other such things, like... I know, because you you're a hurt. sadist. But, okay, so... Uh, but I will show you such glorious <laughs> suffering. <laughs> but regardless, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Um, Jesus. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Creature Crunch. Uh, join our Patreon, uh, Creature Crunch. We are the exclusive owners of the John Voight stat block, although we do not endorse John Voight uh, personally. Uh, that is That episode has come out right now, yep. and I had some questions about it. We do not endorse John Voight. We endorse the John Voight stat block of his performance in an anthem. Right. We are the exclusive owners of that, and we are also the exclusive owners of the semi-truck stat block. Yeah. Uh, I don't endorse semi-trucks because they burn fossil fuels. Capitalism. Um, <laughs> you can also email us at creaturecrunchpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and then, uh, Chris, if they want to reach out to you specifically, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the library C. That's C E E. And you can get a hold of me on Twitter as well. Uh, that is at Danny underscore hamsteak. Uh, so I guess we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for joining and uh, toodles. Oh,